Good evening. If you guys have your copies of God's Word, turn to Malachi chapter 2, verse 5. Malachi chapter 2, verse 5. I'll read Malachi chapter 2, verse 5, and then we'll flip over to Matthew, Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Malachi chapter 2, verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks, Courtney. It's good to have it's good to have you back up here. I hope they build I hope they build a gym for you in Chicago. <laughs> Courtney was on um, uh, one of our apprentices last year, and uh, and we've missed having him around. So it's really good to have him back. Uh, my name is Thomas Nelson. If we haven't met, I am uh, one of the pastors here at Christ Covenant, and uh, and so it's my privilege to get to work primarily with you, our young adults. Um, and uh, and I just uh, I'm, I'm so glad that we are we've had an incredible year. We've looked at I mean we have covered so much ground on Tuesday nights um, and in this Bible study, and it's been a really great year. We only have two more gatherings until. 2023 is over, and next week is going to be Classy Christmas, which is awesome. I would encourage you to all like get a ticket and come. It will be well worth your time. It's a great night, and I've also stood at the altar of like three or four people that met on that night, and so uh, so hey, there's there's that too. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's a really fun night, and then our last night together um, is going to be the 12th, and then we're off for about three weeks, and we're back in January, and so really excited as uh, as we near Christmas to kind to look at this unique book, Malachi, and kind of wrap it up tonight. We've gone through several weeks of looking at this this little book. I remember asking as we started the series, who's done a whole series on the book of Malachi? And there was like one person, and my hand wasn't up. I had never done a series on Malachi. And so it's beautiful, and I think you're going to see at the very end of the evening how this so ties into Advent. But let me just say a, 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 something about Advent. So Advent is, is this season that we're entering into, which means the coming. It's, uh, it's when we remember the first coming of Jesus, and, uh, and now in this season, we also await the Advent of his second coming. And so one big question about God has always been, always It's always been his goodness. People for a long time have done this call and response in church where they'll say, God is good. And people will say, all the time. And all the time, God is good. Did anybody grow up in a church where you would say that? Or have you ever been to a church where people said that? Yeah. Well, why do we have to why do we have to say that? Well, we have to say that because life is hard. It's just a fact about life. And so 
the book Malachi that we've been going through for several weeks now, um, I think that in the story of the book, there are some people that are asking that same question, is God good? And, uh, and these people, they were on the other side of the first advent. We're, if, we're on, if we're on, I'll do it, try to do it your direction. If we're on this side of the first advent and we can look back and see that Jesus has come, they would, they would have been over here on this side of the first advent. And so they're just wondering, what is it going to be like when Messiah shows up when he gets here? We have such an advantage over the people in this book, and yet we today still ask, is God good? Uh, and people have been doing this for, for all of time, and our hope is in the unmatched love, the sovereignty, the wisdom of God. And thank God that we live on the side of Advent that we live on, the first Advent, where we can look back and we can see all that the Lord has done when life gets hard. These folks, the faith that they must have had to have to, to cling to these little nuggets that God would drop about who Messiah would be when he would come. It's amazing what they had. Uh, I think that since we have Jesus and we have what he has done, it's abundantly more clear how good the Lord is, but still we have to try to figure out like how we would explain the goodness of God in hard situations. And uh, this guy, Donald Barnhouse, was quoted by, by Timothy Keller. I'll read you the quote. It'll be up on the screen. But Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years, lost his wife when his daughter was still a child. Dr. Barnhouse was trying to help his little girl and himself process the loss of his wife and her mother. Once when they were driving, a huge moving van passed by them. And as it passed, the shadow of the truck swept over the car. And the minister had a thought. And he said something like this. Would you rather be run over by a truck or by its shadow? And his daughter replied, well, by the shadow, of course. That can't hurt us at all. Dr. Barnhouse replied, right. If the truck doesn't hit you, but only its shadow, then you're fine. Well, it was only the shadow of death that went over your mother. She's actually alive, more alive than we are. And that's because 2,000 years ago, the real truck of death hit Jesus. And because death crushed Jesus, and we believe in him, now, the only thing that can come over us is the shadow of death. And the shadow of death is but my entrance into glory. Let's pray as we start. Father, we do ask that you would open your word to us, that you would speak to us tonight as we are going through various things in life. And maybe we're in a really, a really pleasant season. But Lord, we all at some point in time or another wrestle with your goodness in relationship to something that is happening. And so Lord, would you speak to us through your word, through this great little book of Malachi, Lord, through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Father, amen. 
So I want us to wrestle tonight with that question of, is God good? And I want you to understand that fundamentally, Christians all agree on at least a few things. And it helps us to flesh out this idea of, is God good? Um, uh, There's five things I want to show you that that Christians generally all agree on. Um, Christians believe in life after death. That's one of the things that all Christians would, true Christians would agree on. Uh, We're given a different view of life and death, and therefore, there's a different view for every situation that comes between the two dates engraved on everyone's tombstone. There is this incredible story that is told of the activity of God and what all has happened in that person's life in that little dash between the two dates. Another thing that Christians believe is that for some, there are two deaths, but for others, there's only one. There are a physical death that all people undergo, and everybody would agree with that, but Christians believe that some people undergo a second death where they are sentenced to hell for all eternity because they are separated from the holiness of God. And the only way to avoid that is having saving faith in Jesus. Jesus washes away a person's sin and makes them holy and able to enter into the presence of God. And so you would only go through one death. And you go back to that story that I read you, and that would be the shadow of death passing over that lady. The third thing that all Christians, Orthodox Christians would agree on is that Christians don't believe that this life is always good and goes according to our plan, and yet Christians are hopeful. Christians aren't fatalist. Christians aren't pessimist. Christians are hopeful. We're actually very hopeful. We pray prayers for blessing. We pray prayers for healing. We celebrate life and love. We mourn loss and death, but we make the most of the time that we have on earth. And the, 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 another thing that I would say is that Christians would all agree, true Orthodox Christians would all agree that we're not home while we're here. This is just a blip on the radar. And so Christians, like I said before, are given a very different view of life and death, and therefore a very different view of every situation that comes between the birth date and the death date, that little dash in between. And in all of this, real Christians, Orthodox Christians, really believe that in all of it, that God is good all the time and all the time that God is good. But this belief in God being good, here's the, here's the interesting thing in it. It's usually forged in the times when God says no or when there is loss and there is suffering. And I think that is where most people kind of recoil or, and are afraid to get their hands dirty and really wrestle with the reality of, is God good? So let's take a look at the first verse that Courtney read, Malachi chapter chapter two here. And in verse five, there's this really interesting verse that's kind of central to understanding the whole book. And the Lord reminds the people of a covenant that he made with the Levites. 
This is a covenant he made with the Levites, and they were the priests. And in the New Testament, all Christians are called the tribe of priests. We are all considered priests. And so this was a covenant made originally to the priest, which I think extends to the New Testament Christians. And he says, my covenant, there's just a few things I want to show you in here. He says, my covenant is with him one of life and peace. And I gave it to them. And it was a covenant, there's that word again, of fear. And so I want to just explain real quick, covenant, life, peace, and then the second part of this, the fear. Um, And so what we see in this passage is that God says he's going to make a covenant. And when God makes a covenant, it's this unbreakable promise. Now, I have made a covenant to Heather. Um, Many people have made other covenants when they get married. People make um, all these binding covenants. We just don't treat them nearly as seriously as they were treated in in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Covenants were very, very serious. But when God makes a covenant, it's unbreakable. He never goes back on his word. His word is as good as done. Go back to Genesis 1. When he speaks, it happens. So when God makes a covenant, it is solid. It is secure. And he makes a covenant with these priestly people twofold. He promises life and he promises peace. And so when you think about life, I want you to think about the Hebrew word, is is not like, okay, that's a tree that is alive versus that like rock that's just sitting there. I want you to think about the, I want you to think about the same color that I use to highlight this. I want you to think about green because the Hebrew word for life is actually associated with green because green is so associated with growth and new and fresh. And so the Lord says, I promise to give you life that is like thriving. And and there's this idea of continuation, almost the idea of I I promise to give you life, but also eternal life. This growth, this freshness, this raw, it's living. And then he says, and I promise to give you peace. And this is not like peace, like the two fingers that you hold up. It's not like the American version of this. This idea of peace is the Hebrew word, and you know this word. The word is shalom. It's, and shalom is much deeper, much bigger, much more robust than our word for peace. Shalom actually means complete wholeness. It's better than just, oh, I got through the traffic. I can relax. We need shalom in that moment for sure. I only send a little bit driving here um, tonight. Like, only a couple of times, but I won't confess all of what I did. Um, and so sometimes I do pray that you're not beside me when I'm driving here. Um, like I have said that literal prayer. Um, and so, uh, but I, this, is, this is a beautiful thing. It's this promise, this unbreakable promise of life that begins but doesn't end. And this beautiful promise of wholeness and so I think that God is promising the Levites something that is both now and later. And we see in the New Testament the same idea that we too can have life, John 10, 10, and have it abundantly, which means it starts now in Christ, but also continues and is fully realized in eternity. 
But what you can't do is you can't take this covenant of life and peace and, and you can't blend it and mix it to, the idea, to where you come up with the idea that God will make every part of life peaceful. This is not what he's saying. And you can't evaluate God's goodness on whether or not every part of life is peaceful. It wasn't peaceful for Jesus. It wasn't peaceful for Paul. It wasn't peaceful for any of the prophets. It's never been completely peaceful, meaning that everything gets fixed. Every little problem goes away. That is not what is ever portrayed in the Bible. But what you can say from this promise is that in every part of life, God's peace can be experienced. And I think that is exactly what the Lord is promising these, these priests. He's making a covenant with them that every part of their life can be had in the experience of God's wholeness. And so the second part, though, I think is the most Maybe the, maybe, I don't know if it's the most, but it's equally as interesting because covenants take two parties. And this was the covenant that the priest were supposed to give in order to receive the covenant of life and peace. Their end of the bargain, and I believe this is true in the New Testament as well, their end of the bargain is to fear the Lord. And it's such an interesting idea of fearing the Lord. It's a covenant of fear, and he feared me, and he stood in awe of my name. If I really want to have the peace of God in every moment of my life, I must embrace the same thing that these priests were asked to embrace. I must fear the Lord in every moment of my life. Uh, we can have the peace of God when we, when we fear him, no matter what type of chaos is happening. This Sunday, right here where I am standing, there will be a big giant metal tub from Tractor Supply, and it will be full of water, and there will be four or five of you that are baptized. And we had the same thing happen a few weeks ago. There were four or five of you that were, that were baptized here a few weeks ago. And when you st before you step into this tub of water, there's an orange X on the stage right here. And in our pre-baptism meetings, I show you where this orange X is. This is a preview for those of you that are here that are getting baptized Sunday, you'll stand right here and you will then hold your phone up and you will hold the microphone and you will read your testimony. And what we will hear in your testimony is that you are proclaiming in Christ, you have life and peace, not just in eternity, but that you have received it now and you are trying to walk in it. But what we will not hear is that all the chaos in your life died down. What we will hear is the supernatural transposed peace of God on your life while your life continued on. And it is miraculous and it's beautiful. Let me just try to give you two, two examples. I think sometimes we need handles to pick up the basket. Let me just try to give you two examples of how the fear of God and life and peace go together. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression, mind your head, M-I-N-D, mind your head. Um, but it's, it's a way that our friends in Zimbabwe would tell me in particular to duck. They would say, Tom, mind your head. And so it was, it was, they're saying, hey, keep in mind that you are taller than the doorways. 
Keep in mind that your head is attached to your shoulders. Keep in mind that like you tend to like look down while you walk, but maybe look up occasionally. It's mind your head. And so the problem is if I don't remember that there's a doorway that's lower than my height, the doorway will remind me that it was lower than my height. But doorways don't, they don't just, they, 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 they stay put. They, they don't change. They don't attack me when I'm like away from them. But as I come near them, I need to mind my head, especially in Zimbabwe where the doorways are lower. I need to mind my head as I get close to them because they're immovable. They are where they are. And they're not angry and they're not coming at me. They're just there. And I think likewise, the Lord, he's not this angry God but he also doesn't change and he doesn't move and he stays where he stays. And I need to mind myself about him. And in doing so, I, I know that I should bow at this moment. I should stop at this moment. I should pause in this moment. And so in the same way, it's Tom, mind your head. It's Tom, mind that God is there. But the problem is either I forget him or I've never known him. I put my agenda and my plans ahead of him and I carry on in, in my ways and I run into him all the time and he's immovable. And just like hitting my toe against the corner of the furniture that was there before I entered the room and I smacked my toe on because I just wasn't paying attention. I, I have to, I, it doesn't matter if I get mad at the furniture, it was me that ran into it because I wasn't minding the furniture. And I think part of fearing the Lord, a huge part of fearing the Lord is simply remembering him, remembering that he is there and maybe not getting so mad at him because I have bloody toes because I keep kicking them against his robe. And I'm mad that he's where he is when it's me that's run into him. In Malachi 2.5, we see that there's a covenant of life and peace to be had by these folks. But in order to enter into that covenant, there has to be this covenant of fear, remembering God. And, and let me just say, I'm not talking about earning salvation in Jesus. What I'm talking about in a New Testament context is enjoying the salvation of Jesus. If I really want to enjoy the salvation of Jesus, I must remember that he exists and that he is God. And in doing so, I learned to duck and I learned to bow and I learned to stop and I learned to go around the things that he has blocked off. And that simply starts with remembering him. Let me try to tell you one more story about this fear of God so that you can have this life of, of life and peace Heather and I got married when we were 24 years old. 
We waited a few years to start trying to have kids. So we were in our later 20s when we began trying. And we were minding God. We were remembering God. Uh, I mean, we had verses like, uh, like Psalm 127, three through five. Behold, children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. So we began trying to conceive because we saw clearly in scripture, it is a blessing from God to have children. You can have a whole quiver full. I'm glad there wasn't a number attached to that. You can have a whole quiver full. Uh, and then people find out that you're trying to have kids. And so they, the conversations go from fun to stressful pretty quick. Um, people gave us a lot of advice. There was a deacon in a deacon's meeting who was hard of hearing. And, uh, and I've told this story before, but it's a great story. And he said, how many kids do you have? And I told him the Sparks Note version of like our infertility journey that we were on. And again, he was hard of hearing. And it was that moment like in the basketball game when everybody gets quiet except you. And you were talking to the person next to you about something like not everybody wanted to hear, but, but it happened. Um, everybody got quiet and he yelled out, all you need to do is tell your wife to relax and it'll happen. And I was like, thank you so much. This is awesome. Uh, and so then we began to see fertility specialists. We were tested. Our privacy was completely gone. Heather underwent a surgery to find out if something was awry, only to be told by the doctors after all of that that for she and I, it was just bad luck. But Christians don't believe in bad luck. We believe that the Lord opens and closes the womb and that children are a blessing from the Lord. We believe that you are to make disciples and what better way than to make disciples than to have children in your home that you can rear and grow in the Lord. Uh, there are plenty of verses that talk about praying God's will. I mean, John 14, 13 through 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What better thing to ask for than children? And then you get many well-intended people telling you more things to do, more things to try, whether it was adoption or foster care or in vitro or a number of other things. And all the while, you're left with two big questions. Is God strong enough? And is he good? We had a good desire for years. And we had a good request of God for years. And intellectually, I knew that God was good, but experientially, I sure was questioning it. And we know, we knew that he's good all the time and all the time that he's good, even though it seemed like we kept smashing our toes into the corner of his robe and just getting this frustrated, what are you doing, God? I thought you were good and kind. And then one day, the Bible was getting harder and harder to open. Trusting God was getting tougher and tougher. One day, Heather reached the end of her rope, and she decided she loved the Lord, but she just simply didn't understand him. And he spoke to her. And he spoke to her in her heart in the sweetest way. And I believe he said something like, Heather, do you want children? Do you want godly offspring? Do 
You want to care for little ones and see them grow into godly parents themselves one day. And Heather replied something like, yes, Lord, you know that's what I want. It's what I've been asking for for years to have you give us. And the Lord in his kindness allowed her for a moment to step back and see something she had not seen before and hear this because you will have a similar moment where you are fighting God and fighting God and fighting God, the one who promises to give you a life of life and peace as you begin to fear him in Christ. And you won't understand what he's doing, but may he give you this same moment of clarity wherein in that moment, she was able to step back And it was like the Lord said to her, Heather, look where I've placed you as an early childhood school teacher. And she began to see something. And he said, Heather, look at where I've placed you and Thomas in the local church serving upcoming generations. She began to see even more. Look what I've given you. I've given you more influence over children to come and know me than many other lives combined will ever have. I've answered your prayer hundreds or thousands of times over, just in a different way than you had asked. And in that moment, she realized that the Lord was good the whole time. And the whole time, he was good. And you know what? He took our punches and our questions and our cursing at him and our running into him And he blocked our path because it was best to block our path. And we have seen he still delivers a covenant of life and peace as you begin to walk away from your plans and fear him, remember him, and trust his plans. But it's never fully realized, I promise you, this is never fully realized until we fear the Lord, and in doing so, we trust his plans above our plans. And that's what was not happening in this book. The Lord promises life now and in eternity, peace now and in eternity. Paul says that in this life, we will see dimly as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face He says, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So is God good? I think we would say yes with a resounding yes, but it often takes time to see how his goodness is going to be revealed. But if you mean, if God is good, then he'll make every situation turn out the way that I want. Hear me on this. That simply means that you have removed God in your mind and in your heart from his throne and you have made him a very powerful personal assistant. And ultimately in doing so, you have then elevated yourself to the position of God. And you will become a very, very frustrated Christian if you are one. So, The start to understanding the goodness of God in this verse in Malachi 2.5 is not with God answering all of my prayers. The start to finding the goodness of God 
is in fearing him. In Proverbs 1.7, it says that if you want to get smart, if you want wisdom, that doesn't start by learning a bunch. It starts by fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of life and peace. It's central to the book of Malachi, and the people were so unafraid of God in the whole book. At the time that this was written, every story that you know in the Old Testament had already happened. I mean, think about it. Noah had already sailed Abraham had come and gone. Moses had led the people out of Egypt. The Ten Commandments had come. King David had come. The temple had been built. The prophets had come and gone. The Babylonian exile had happened. Uh, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, the lion's den. All of these things had happened. And I think they thought, now life should be easy. But it was still hard. And so when we get to this next section... In Malachi 3, 16 through 18, what we see is something really interesting. It says that then those who feared the Lord, there's that word again, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another and the Lord paid attention and he heard them and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And what does he say about those folks? He says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. The prophet was speaking to the whole nation of Israel. And near the end of his message, near the end of his sermon, the people who really feared God pulled aside. Like in the middle of the sermon, they pulled aside and they began to ask, what will come of us? How can we have this life and peace? We're ruined. And I imagine some of those folks had been believers for a long time and some were new. They heard the words of the prophet and they were cut to the heart and they repented and they were coming to the Lord. I imagine it was a mixed group of people. But nonetheless, they all had one thing in common. They all feared God, which by the way is the only fear Christians are commanded to have. And what does it say? It says, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another and two things happen, or three really. The Lord pays attention, he hears them, and he writes their name in the book of remembrance. You might be in a similar spot to these folks where it seems like, Everybody's going in one direction. We want to run in another. It seems like life is just such a mess. Where is God in all of this? But I promise you, if in your heart, and no one knows your heart except the Lord, if in your heart you are in the spot where you say, God, I fear you above all else. I want to mind you. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I think this is absolutely the same thing that happens to us. He pays attention He hears what's going on in your heart. And this book of remembrance is interesting. It's all throughout the Bible. 
and all of the people who have ever trusted the Lord from pre-Jesus to now. Their names have been written in this book. And it says that for those people, he will spare them like a father would spare his son. I think if we were to walk through the Bible, I think what we would see is that life and death and the life that God offers is highlighted. I think what we would see if we could take like a quick survey of the Bible is that God is so good And he shows that he is good more and more and more as the scriptures are revealed. He shows that he is good to those who fear him. He shows that he is good to all creation. He shows that his kindness is everlasting. His mercy is new every day. He shows that he reaches down into the mire and pulls up the people. In fact, if you were to go from Genesis to Revelation, I've got the verses for you. If you were to go from Genesis 1, you would see God brings life. But by the, time, by the time you get to Genesis chapter three, you would see that, that we rebel and we walk away from the Lord. And as we get to, to, to Job, you see, that, uh, you see that Job, even though he knows Genesis one and three, and he knows that in Genesis three, God promises to crush the head of the serpent and he makes the first sacrifice of an innocent animal to cover the people's shames. But Job has so much hurt going on in his life and he's questioning the Lord. And Job finally, after meeting the Lord and not getting his life back, but having much loss, Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And therefore, I repent and am comforted in dust and ashes. Job says, the Lord is good. And he's been redeeming this whole time, and I am still a part of his redemption plan. When you get to the famous 23rd Psalm, what you see is David say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because he only has to fear the Lord. And why? Because the Lord is with him. Do you know that's the central line to that psalm? You are with me. He says that surely goodness and mercy, life and peace will follow him all the days of his life. And then later he writes Psalm 34. And in Psalm 34, after seeing much life, David says, I know this about the Lord that he is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And then by the time we get to the New Testament in the book of Romans, we see that all creation is groaning in Romans chapter eight. This is such a beautiful chapter. We're gonna spend about five weeks on it next year. And it's an incredible chapter. But we see that all creation is groaning. And we wait for adoptions as sons. We wait for the Lord to redeem our bodies, which he says that he will do as his plan unfolds. It's so much bigger than this moment in my life getting fixed. His cosmic eternal plan is full of redemption and goodness, not just for you, but for all people, all who put their trust in him. And at the end of this great section, it says, and we know That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
The glory, his glory is revealed even more in 2 Corinthians 5 when it says the Lord made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul gives this incredible treatise as he has seen more and more in visions of the Lord of the redemption plan of God, the goodness of God. And, and in this, he talks to people who have experienced the first deaths of Christians. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. Those who have fallen asleep are going to be the first to rise from the dead. And he says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We will be with the Lord always. And then he ends that section by saying, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then as we get to the final book of the Bible, now the vision of God, the revelation of God has become so clear. And as we get to the final book of the Bible, what we see in Revelation 21 verses one through four is that then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. That's God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is God himself holding face after face after face, wiping away every tear. Death will be no more. Neither will mourning or crying or pain anymore. The former things have passed away. And the exclamation mark on all of this is found in the seminal chapter of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The people in Malachi were being given a promise that they barely understood. This promise of truth, that God is good, forged and the heartache of normal everyday life, that this is just a moment and God is at work and he brings life and peace. It's the, it's the thing that allowed Horatio Spafford to be able to write the Christian treasured hymn, It Is Well. The reason he wrote that hymn, It Is Well, is because he understood that God is good and brings life and peace despite the circumstances. For those who fear the Lord are redeemed of the Lord. And he wrote that hymn because his wife and four daughters were on a trip going across the Atlantic and the boat that they were in sank. All four daughters, ages two to 11, drowned. And as he was going to be with his wife, crossing the Atlantic on his own, when he got to the spot where the ship had gone down, he began to write down the famous words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. But then the book of Malachi concludes, it's this call to fear God 
and enjoy the life and peace that he gives. And then it's this call for those who fear God to trust their names have been written down and they're among the redeemed. And then there's the promise of the redeemer who would come. Malachi 4.2 says this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You go out leaping like calves from the stall. And I hope this Christmas, you'll think about this book, you'll think about that promise of the son of righteousness, Jesus, who brings healing in his wings. When you hear the famous song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, because it says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. If I had to summarize Malachi, I would say Malachi is encouraging the people through the Holy Spirit to not give up on God. And in not giving up on God, to be mindful of him and remember him and submit to him. And then enjoy the life and peace that he brings. And in the New Testament, I would say that it's the exact same. Fear the Lord. Surrender your life to Jesus in every area and enjoy the peace, the abundant life that he gives you both now and forever. Do you have that saving faith in him? Are you minding him and fearing him or are you stubbing your toes against his robe? I think the fear of God the trust in Jesus is what we need to ask right now beyond any of our circumstances. Where are you in that? Let's pray. Father, we have this call to fear, even in the New Testament, that reverence, that awe. And Lord, it's really not until you get our attention that we can fear you, that we can have reverence, that we can have awe and wonder and fall down like the elders in heaven. And so Lord, would you gather our hearts? Would you grab our attention? Would you stop us from kicking against you and fighting you and wrestling with you? And would you help us to step back and see that you are good no matter what is happening and you offer life and peace, not only to the people of Israel in Malachi's day, but to us through Christ now. But Lord, it doesn't come until we come to the end of ourselves. Would you help us to lay ourselves down, Lord, in fear and awe and respect of you? And may we be the redeemed of the Lord, walking in step with Jesus, who gave himself that we might be with you. It's in his name we pray, Father. Amen.